We come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, this is Independence Day today. This is a day of freedom today. This is a day that sets every day apart in our country because this is a day that we recognize that our freedom in this country. And it's a great thing. But Lord, more importantly than freedom in this country, this is a day of freedom in our spirit. This is a day that we recognize that we are free from the bondages of sin. We are free from the things that bind us up. We are free. And we're going to talk about that today in Jesus' name. So, Lord, I pray. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us today. Lord, I pray that you just show up today in our hearts and our lives and fill us today. Fill us with the freedom of freedom. In Jesus' name. Amen. This is the 4th of July. This is Independence Day. This is the day we celebrate the freedom of our country from the rule of England and really from the rule of the Church of England. If you go back and study our history, our forefathers left their homes to travel across the wide ocean, a very dangerous thing to do and a very scary thing to do. It took a lot of boldness and a lot of guts to do what they did. They got on three boats, three small boats, and they sailed across the ocean. And they did it because they wanted to worship God. Now, I don't know what that means because I really don't know what they felt. But I know that they were under t- uh, a, 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 a tyranny. They were under um, bondage from the Church of England. And the Church of England today is the, still the Church of England. I'm not so sure that they're, even they are free yet. But, but that's what our, our forefathers did. And they sailed across the ocean and they established this country and they, and they came to live here with freedom. And I appreciate that, don't you? Don't you appreciate what they did for us? That we have the freedom to live in this country the way we live. But you know what? Freedom wasn't free. Because when they got here, they still were under England's bondage. The queen still ruled until they went to war. Until they fought the bloody battle. Until they won. They paid a price for the freedoms that we have today. And you know what's amazing about that? Is that not only did they do that, but... They didn't even really set up a complete free society because it wasn't long and then came slavery where our freedom was our perception of freedom. Free for the white man, but not free for the black man. And not free for the man that they went over and they took from Africa and they brought him over under bondage. So here was a country that was established on freedom principles only to bind other people in their pursuit of freedom. Does that ring true in your life? Do you ever bind, do you ever become free in one area of your life only to to be bound in another area? So they had the freedom there, but they didn't choose to live in it in its fullness. They bound other people until another war came, until Abraham Lincoln came. And he said, I'm not going to stand for it anymore. And he became the leader of this country that he needed to be. And he then, through the Civil War, again, through bloodshed, through a lot of people that gave up everything they had, including their lives, for the freedom of all men in this country. Black, white, it doesn't make any difference. In male, female, it didn't make any difference. That's the way Jesus looks at us. That's the way he looks at us. But yet, 
What's our country doing today? Are we still living in that freedom? Or do we see ourselves moving down into another form of bondage, maybe even of a worse vice? And this isn't a political rally, so I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to say it for what it is. But we're going to move on to know that freedom here, and the purpose of this is to say that freedom is not free. Freedom takes effort. It took a price. Somebody sacrificed for freedom in this country. It always comes with a cost, a choice, a conscious decision. Freedom is never free. And when we think it's free, that we, and we think it comes at no cost, is when we really don't feel, feel its full effect in and on our life. In effect, we really aren't free yet, but still in bondage with the one that the battle was with until we can appreciate what freedom cost. Freedom that we don't embrace, that we don't appreciate what the battle was and that it was won for our benefit. Until we embrace it and really appreciate it, then we really aren't willing to continue the fight for what freedom is. Because just because freedom was won once doesn't mean that it was won forever unless I continue to choose to live in the freedom. Freedom for the Christian was won at the cross. The victory that Jesus gave us when he defeated Satan once and for all, when he cried out, it is finished. It is finished. It was done. It was completed. Right then and there, it was over. We won. Jesus won. Why would he say it was finished if it wasn't? Was Jesus one that would say words that weren't true? Would he, you know, if he, especially at his dying words, the last words he said. In, a, in, in a, a dying man, we've all heard of dying confessions. People that confess at the last moment, their last breath, they want to say the truth. They don't want to live a lie anymore. They want to live the truth at their last breath. And Jesus said, it is finished. That's over. That means we don't have to live in it anymore. But yet we do. Because I don't pick up the fight enough. I don't appreciate what it meant on the cross when he said it is finished. Therefore, I don't appreciate freedom. I don't appreciate freedom from the enemy. If I'm going to appreciate it, then I have to continue to fight for it. We are in the fight of our life. Even though he said it is finished, we still have a fight going on in our life until it's finished for my last breath. Satan is here to destroy. Now, he was bound at that point in time. He, his, his fate was sealed for eternity. At that point in time, when Jesus said it is finished, Jesus was bound and set his fate to eternal fire and damnation. Mine wasn't. Yours wasn't. But Satan's was. But yet he is such a deceiver. I don't know that he really believes it. I think he is such a good liar that he has lied to himself to the point that he doesn't believe that he's defeated. And I believe that he is full force trying to save himself yet. And in his effort of saving, he is trying to take me down. 
And he is trying to take you down with him. He is not going alone. And he is not going without a struggle. So he is trying to bind up again what Jesus said was finished. He is trying to bind it. And how do I know that? I know that because the Bible says that. I know that because the Bible says that we are still in a fight all around us. You know, isn't it also a sad travesty to think that our society, we look around us and we see Christians, vibrant, full of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit Christians. But, you know, this is a common trick of the enemy, is that he will come to us and he will make us passive. He will make us live a life, and he will make us think that, you know, you guys don't have to get too excited about anything. You really don't have to worry about, you know, yeah, your, your, your faith's fine. You're going to go to heaven, and that's, that's great. Just go to heaven and, and, you know, be a little Christian over there. But, you know, you really don't need to make a difference. And can't you see that all around us in our society? Don't you see the passiv- that the passivity of Christians in our social culture, in our media, you know, if you want to see something that's interesting, they just had a big thing, big thing on the news. I saw it in, um, where was it at? It was some country overseas. And they had a race down the street with men in high heels. And it was a big race. It was, it was to celebrate their ability to live their free gay life. And they, were, they went to the extreme of having this big race, and the media caught it. And it was on national news. These stupid men running down this mile race in high heels. Now, when have we ever done something stupid for Christ? And I'm not saying we have to do something stupid, because our mission says earthly, heavenly effective to earthly relevance. Earthly relevance doesn't mean I get stupid. But I'm just asking the question. We see all the protests happening. The protests aren't Christians. The protests are the people protesting against Christianity, where we sit back passively and let it happen. That's the enemy's play to us. That's the way he's trying to defeat us in our passivity and in our, in our empathy. So we as people have to understand that we are in a fight 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, Paul gives instruction to the Corinthians, and he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. Did you hear the word? Power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every whole lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We have the power to take the thoughts of our mind captive if I choose to receive it. Paul also charges Timothy to fight the good fight of faith in this life. We are in the, in the fight of our life. Even though it was finished on the cross, we still are in the fight for our life. Uh, Paul, Timothy, or Paul was just talking about in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 12, he was just talking about the love of money. And how many will wax cold and, and, and how we get so wrapped up in the temporary things of life and how that becomes so important for us. But, Tim, but he goes on to, to tell Timothy, he says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. 
Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We are called to fight. We are called to fight. We are not called to be passive, gentle, weak Christians. That is not a Christian. That is a lukewarm person that is at risk of saying, hearing the words, I never knew you, depart from me. I'm just reading what the Bible says. It says in Revelation, we are here to fight. Not with my wife and not with my kids. I'm here to fight the enemy of our soul. I'm here to fight the spiritual battles that are about us. And we have to get more aggressive in that. We have to know what we're against. We cannot sit back and let him be the aggressor. We have to aggressively go after Satan and fight and conquer it. If you want victory in your life, if you want generational blessings, if you want to have your kids serve God, dads and moms, then you need to fight for them. You need to pray for them, grandparents. We need to fight for our generations behind us that are coming up. Because if we don't, they're going to get sucked away by the subtleties of this world. And they're going to get sucked into the media of this world. And Hollywood's going to win if I don't stand and fight for my kids. Hallelujah. There are more passages and proof, but that's enough. As I said at the very beginning, freedom is not free. It always comes with a cost, a choice, a conscious decision. Now, what are these choices? Let's talk about it a minute. We have, we find that, that freedom is really multidimensional. There's two aspects of freedom. We have to give freedom to gain freedom. We have to give freedom to gain freedom. Now, what does that mean? It means that I have to surrender my life to Jesus before I'm going to gain his freedoms in my life. I have to give up. I have to sacrifice. I have to give up my life for Christ if I'm going to gain his freedom. I can't do it the other way. I must allow him. I must surrender freely, giving him control of my life if I'm to live in his freedom. Life is made up of choices. I choose every day what I'm going to do with my time. I choose every day what I'm going to do with my attitude. I choose every day what I'm going to do with my surrender. I need to choose every day. I need to give up my freedom to gain Christ's freedom. I may have to sacrifice something in my life to do that. Like I said, freedom is not free. And when I realize that, and when I realize that we are in a battle, then I can freely give up my freedoms to gain Christ's freedoms. And I must give him that authority. You know, Christ, we've said it before, he's a gentleman, and he's not going to barge in on your life. You know, the, the word says in Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's his will. God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. That's not his will. He wants everyone to come to repentance. But does that mean they are? No. We know many people that are going to hell. It's not God sending them to hell. It's their choice. They have to understand. Even though it's God's intentions and will to desire that none should perish, it's up to men and women and children to apply the blood of Christ in our life. 
to fight for the freedom that He's given us. And so you must, I must, choose to receive Christ in my life if I am going to spend eternity with Him in heaven versus eternity in hell. Because I'm going to spend eternity somewhere. Somewhere I will be in eternity. Where is my choice? God doesn't want to send me to hell. And He's not. God is not sending me to hell. I'm going there by myself. I am choosing it. Or I choose not. It's my choice. He's given it. He's already said it's finished. He's already given me the victory. It's my choice. It's your choice. The second dimension of freedom also includes a choice and a conscious effort on my part. And that is that I must accept it. Now, there's a close tie here a little bit. But when I freely give God freedom in my life and he gives it to me, then I must accept it and I must move in it and I must keep it alive in my life. I can't be passive in it. I can't just let it come and go at at will because the enemy will come and pluck it away from me. As soon as God gives me freedom, the enemy is going to be right there to take it away from me if I don't receive it. And then put it deep in my soul and practice it and work with it and develop that relationship with Christ that I have to have. If I don't work with it, the enemy will steal it. So it's important that I must, I must grasp it and I must apply it into my life. And I must know that and I must, we must be warned against false teachings. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 12, uh, verses chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, it says, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times which, by the way, we are in. Did you know that? Do you realize that? Look around us. Look at the prophecies that have been fulfilled. Look at the earthquakes. Look at the weather patterns. Look at the economy. Look at the world. Look at Israel. Look at it. We are in the latter times. Some will, be abandoned. Some will abandon the faith. And follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciousness have been seared as with a hot iron. And then in verse 16 of that same chapter, it says, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So we are instructed. We're told that we're going to have false teachings. We're told we're going to have many people fall away. Many people that know better are going to fall away. You know, I just got to tell you, there's a, a, a good friend of ours in Brighton was a pastor. And he just two weeks ago came public and said, I'm leaving my wife. He's had a drinking problem for years. He's running with other women. And he's totally turned his back on God. But yet, this is the, this is the amazing part. But yet, he still feels he's a Christian. He still feels that he's hearing from God. And he's living a lifestyle of debauchery and idolatry and drunkenness. It doesn't work that way, people. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. He was a Christian man. He was a pastor. He knew better. What's he thinking? He's thinking because we are in the latter times. And we are going to be pounded with deception. Father, forgive us. Hallelujah. 
We've got to lighten it up a little bit. I need my I need my helpers. We've got a little skit we want to have. We want to show you what happens in our life. I want to show you what happens when how Satan works and how things work in lives of people. So let me describe, let me set the scene a little bit here. What we have is we have Jesus. Thanks for that. Thank you. And we have the devil. Do I have to wear this? Yeah. You've got to be uncomfortable, man. so small. I know. We have Jesus in white, the devil in black. And we have three people that represent us. These are common people. This is Jenna and Ben and Ellie Mae. Clamp it. Doesn't she remind you of Ellie Mae Clamp it? And he kind of reminds you of Jethro. But for now, he's Satan. And for now, she's Ellie. And so what's going to happen here is this, is that as you, as you see, they're bound. Their feet are bound. Their arms are bound. And what this is, this is sin. We come into this life bound with sin. As a, as a baby, they come in bound in sin. That's just the way it is. doesn't mean they're bad people. That's just they're bound in sin. So what's going to happen here is that we're going to see how Jesus delivers and how Satan binds. And then we're going to see what happens as they live it out. So let's go. Jesus, do your work. Satan, get thee behind me. But do what you've got to do. Satan's a little miffed right now because he's just lost one. Satan is trying, he's trying his best to bind him up again. Jesus is helping him. He's right there. He's not letting him go. He's not letting him go. He's not letting him go. But, but, look, what number, but look what Ellie's doing. Ellie's tying herself back up. Ellie and Jesus is untying her. And, and Jenna is fighting the good fight. And Ellie's again. But watch, Ellie's going to sit down in a minute and she's going to let herself get bound back up. And she's binding herself back up. There you go, Jesus. Take after that big bad devil. Don't let him there. And Jesus is right back there. And see what, see what Jenna's doing? Jenna is fighting the good fight. She's helping. She's interceding for those. She is there. She's, she's the prayer warrior. She's the one interceding. And she's not letting it happen. Satan's trying to bind her up, and she's running. She's, she's staying active. She's, being, she's been aggressive in the warfare, and she's not letting herself be bound again. And we can let this go on for a long time, because you know what? This is life. You guys can do that for eternity, or you can stop. Okay, now, thank you. Now, let's just, one other person I want to talk about is Ben. Ben didn't do anything. This is not Ben. I mean, just the, pur- the purpose of that is saying that here's the, here's the thing. Ben was bound, just like the rest of them. Ben got freed, just like the rest of them. But Ben didn't do anything. Ben sat still in his freedom. He didn't apply it. He didn't live in it. He didn't do anything for God. He wasn't up there per- praying. He wasn't interceding. And you know, here's the other thing. He wasn't attacked. Did you notice that? The devil didn't even touch Ben. Here's the deal, folks. I know a lot of people, and you know a lot of people, that are good people. 
They could be wealthy people. Life is grand. Life is moving on for them without a problem. And we look at them and think, boy, I want to be like them. Now, I don't want to meddle here, but look how empty our church is. And I know it's a weekend, and I know it's a holiday weekend, so I'm not upset with those that are not here. But listen, those that are not here, choosing to be not here on a regular basis, they're the bends of the world. And here's the other thing. I don't know, I'm not the judge, but I'm not even sure they're going to make heaven. Did you hear me? They are the lukewarm Christians. And what's the Bible say about lukewarm Christians? He will, he will spew them out of his mouth. If we're not vibrantly on fire for God, relevantly on fire for God, I'm not talking weird, I'm talking relevantly on fire for God, we are at risk of being spewed out of his mouth because we're lukewarm. Ellie, on the other hand, she lived a victorious life a little bit, but yet she would bind herself up again. Here's the deal. Satan didn't even have to do it. She did it herself. She was tying herself up. She didn't have to tie herself up. But she took the rope and started binding herself. I do that all the time. How do you bind yourself up? Yeah, what kind of sins? What, What are some sins that beset us? Greed, lust, our own habits, evil, fear, anxiety, all these things that we allow to come back in our life, we're binding ourselves up because we allow it to happen. Jesus is there. He's there to free us. He's there to keep us freed. And here's the deal. I can't free myself. Ellie couldn't free herself. She had to, Jesus had to free her. But yet she has a responsibility to stay unbound. I have a responsibility to choose joy. I have a responsibility to choose my situation. And if I don't choose the right choices, then what? Guess what? What am I doing to myself? I'm binding myself back up. I'm, being a, I'm helping the enemy destroy my life. Jenna, on the other hand, was trying her best. And I, I don't mean, you know, I mean she, she, she represented trying her best to, to be a helper. Always working, always doing something, not in her own power. Did you notice that Jesus kind of shadowed her around? He didn't leave her very far, did he? No, Jesus is there for us. Amen. Let's give these nice actors a round of applause. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your, uh, free, your willingness to, to jump in and be a part of that. Okay, so what are we going to be freed from? Let's talk about three things. Three things that we need to be freed from. We need to be freed from the pull of the past, the pull of the past, the pain and the paralysis of the present, and the fear of the future. The pull of the past, the pain or the paralysis of the present, and the fear of the future. Those are the three common things that come to mankind in our bondage and what we need to be freed from. Let's talk about each one, the pull of the past. Many people are stuck in the bondage of their past. 
They're free or they're bound. They're, they're, they're bound because they're thinking that God cannot forgive them. They've done things so badly that they cannot be forgiven. They're bound in their past. They cannot forgive themselves. We all know people like that that just beat themselves up all the time. Or there are people there that are so in love with the past, they, they, they can't get out of it. They just live in it. They just go back to the good old days all the time. Because their memories have it fashioned that the good old days were good and the present is bad. So they live in the, pre- the past all the time and they can't get out of it. You can't go forward looking backwards very long. It's kind of fun. I kind of like to do that when I'm driving a car. You know, you're driving and you're looking in your rearview mirror and you're thinking, I can drive long ways because I, I can see the white line, I can see the yellow line. And I can, as long as I keep those pretty good looking back, I can still go forward. And I can drive pretty good looking backwards, but I have no idea if the car ahead of me is stopping. I don't have any idea. So that's not a good thing to do, student drivers. Look ahead. Don't look in your rearview mirror. Look there. You're supposed to glance in your rearview mirror and then back. Glance and look back. Glance and look back. You're to learn from your past. You want to know what's there because if I have to make a quick change of lanes, I want to know if there's a vehicle there or not there. So it's a quick glance in the past. But then I've got to get my eyes back on the future. I've got to get my eyes back on the present, my speedometer. Right, Mr. Hankins? Officer Hankins, keep your eye on the speedometer because the present speed can be a problem. If my present speed is 80, 81. 80 is good on the freeway, right? (laughs) If my present speed is 80 and a 55, then I have a problem potentially brewing in my life. You know what that's called? Consequences. Because... Uh, Mr. Hankins, Officer Hankins, if I'm going 56 and a 55, he's probably not going to pull me over. But if I'm going 80 and a 55, I'm probably going to get pulled over and probably not even a warning. I may get slapped the old ticket. And with that comes a few points and a penalty. You know what that's called? Consequences. Now, if, if he pulled me over at 55 and a 55 then I'm not, I, I, I'm not paying for my consequences. He's, a, he's harassing me. And I'm going to sue him. No, but see, then that's... <laughs> Take a number. See, those kinds of things in life, those are called tests in life. If I'm going 55 and I get pulled over by a cop that's got a bad day going on, and he's just going to harass me, that's called a test. Because now I didn't deserve that but I'm being tested in my Christian life. But if I'm going 80 and getting pulled over at 55 and I get a ticket, you know what? I asked for it, and now I'm going to pay the consequences of it. And there's a difference between a test and a consequence, right? It had nothing to do with my sermon today. <laughs> Pull of the past. We have, we have to get out of the past. We can't live there. We can't be trapped by it. We can't be dominated by it. We have to, by our choice, look forward. We cannot look to the back, look, look backwards to go forward. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, He, is Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Hebrews eight twelve 
says, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. If I'm having a problem with my sins of the past, understand that Jesus doesn't. He doesn't hold them against me anymore. If I come to him and ask for my forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive. And I don't live there anymore. And I don't have to be pulled back by the past. Romans 6, verses 6 through 11 in the message, it says, Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. And then go on to chapter, verses 12 through 14 of that same chapter of, of Romans 6. It says, That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you are not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So if you have sin, a besetting sin that is, that is just badgering you about your past, let it go. It's gone. It's over. It's finished. Let it go. Now let's talk about the present. The pain and the paralysis of the present. Living in the present for some is also a form of bondage as we can become paralyzed in our pain and suffering and what we are going through today. Anybody know what I mean here? That word depression comes to mind. That word oppression comes to mind. That word of I am just being battered by the enemy comes to mind. See, pain is interesting. Because pain only affects me at the moment. If it, it, doesn't, it doesn't last very long. I mean, I'm only, I'm only under the effect of the pain while it's happening to me. As soon as the pain's over, the pain is gone. Then the pain becomes in the past. And I really can't have pain in the future because I'm not there yet. So pain really only happens to me right now in the moment. If I slam my thumb with a hammer, anybody done that before? Brian? Ron, have you ever? Yeah, Uncle Dick, have you ever? You're a carpenter. Have you ever smashed your thumb? Yeah. Did it hurt? Yeah, it hurts. It kind of hurts just thinking about it, doesn't it? But you know what? When that, as soon as that fingernail falls off, you know, and you're back to your old self, you know, you don't really think about the pain of that hammer anymore. You know, I, I, another good example, because I have a lot of experience in this, and that's childbirth. I've had four children, in case you didn't know it. And you know what? And as soon as they're born, the pain's gone. It was amazing how quickly I recovered. Now, my wife, on the other hand, but yet, you know, she told me, and I, tell me if this is not true, that as soon as that baby's born and the baby is laying on your bosom, is the pain remembered? No. The, child of the, 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 the joy of the child erases the pain. So pain is only really for the present. 
But yet it can be, but it can paralyze us and it can bind us and it can keep us all bound up. The moments of the day, the boredom of the day can be painful. The monotony of going through life one day at a time, the same thing over and over can be painful and that can get me bound up a little bit. The troubles that we have today are going to be there. But Paul, again, boy, Paul was a good guy, wasn't he? He came to us again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, and he said, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That is present sense, present tense, day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That is huge. That is so freeing right there when we know that our day-to-day battles. You know, here's Paul. He's been shipwrecked multiple times. He's been left for dead. He's, been, he's, go, he went, he's gone through a lot. He went through a lot. And he calls his problems the light and momentary problems. So if Paul considers his turmoil, his thorn in the flesh, light and momentary problems, can I not call mine light and momentary? Don't I have the same right then to say that my troubles in this present day are light and momentary? Absolutely I can. Absolutely I can. And I need to do that. I need to recognize that my problems are light and momentary. They are not heavy and eternal. They are light and momentary. And for that, then, I have the promise of eternal life. I have the promise of eternal glory that far outweighs my light and momentary problems. You see, if you think that I'm preaching to you today, I'm not. This is all for me. If there would have been one person here today, I would have preached this message. Because this is so true. This is so true. I hope this is good for you too, by the way. It's good for me. hope it's good for you. Even in our day-to-day struggles we go through, they are worth it as we conquer them for the future glory of Christ. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8, 20, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. We are free to walk in freedom. Psalms 119, verse 45, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I am being obedient, therefore I can walk about in freedom. I am not bound up by the present problems that I have. I am not bound up by the present turmoils that I'm going through because they're light and momentary and they are established in my life for God's future glory in my life for eternity. Fear of the future. This is probably the most common one that we face. This is probably the one that hits us all worse than any of them because the future is daunting. It is huge, and it's something that I have no control over. So it's really painful. 
to think about it. It's scary to think about it. It's not painful. I just said you couldn't have pain in the future. Sorry. It's scary. I don't want to double talk. But we look around and we see the circumstances of our life. We look at our family. We look at our economy. We look at our social structure. We see the problems in the Gulf. Think about it. Think about the oil that's being dumped in the Gulf of Mexico. Do you see a solution to that? I mean, that is a problem that is going to take years and years and years to recover from. And we can take a look at those issues that are like that in my life. I may not have the gusher of oil like that in my life, but I have the gusher of something else in my life that keeps pouring into me. And I look at that and I, and I think it's hopeless. There's no way I can recover from that. There's no way I can recover from that disaster in my finances. There's no way I can recover from a divorce. There's no way I can recover from a lost child. There's no way I can recover from that. That is fear of the future. And we can conquer that. We do not have to live in that fear of the future. We do not have to live that way because if I live that way, I am bound in it. And that's not the way Jesus operates. I want to read Psalm 88 for those that don't know what I'm talking about. Because there's a few here that don't know what I'm talking about. I want to read it. I don't want you to turn to it because I'm going to read it out of the message. I just want you to listen to it. In fact, if you just close your eyes, it's a long psalm and I want to read it. And when you get done with this, you're going to think, why would God ever put this in his word? It's a bad one. There's no hope in this psalm. But I want you to understand, I want you to listen to it. This is what the psalmist went through. If you think you're alone in your misery, if you think you're alone in your fear, understand that you're not. So close your eyes and just listen to this. God, you are my last chance of the day. I spend the night on my knees before you. Put me on your salvation agenda. Take notes on the trouble I'm in. I've had my fill of trouble. I'm camped on the edge of hell. I'm written off as a lost cause. One more statistic, a hopeless case, abandoned as already dead. One more body in a stack of corpses, and not so much as a gravestone. I'm a black hole in oblivion. You've dropped me into the bottomless pit, sunk me in a pitch-black abyss. I'm battered, senseless by your rage, relentlessly pounded by your waves of anger. You turned my friends against me, made me horrible to them. I'm caught in a maze and can't find my way out, blinded by tears of pain and frustration. I call to you, God, all day I call. I wring my hands. I plead for help. Are the dead alive? audience for your miracles do ghosts ever join the choirs that praise you does your love make any difference in a graveyard is your faithful presence noticed in the quarters of hell are your marvelous wonders ever seen in the dark your righteous ways noticed in a land of no memory i'm standing my ground god shouting for help at my prayers every morning my knees each day break why god do you turn a deaf ear why do you make yourself scarce for as long as i remember i've been hurting i've taken the worst you can hand out and I've had it. Your wildfire, your anger has blazed through my life. I'm bleeding black and blue. You've attacked me fiercely from every side, raining down blows till I'm nearly dead. You made, me lo you made my lover and my neighbor alike dump me. The only friend I have left is darkness. Why would the psalmist put that in the Word of God? Does that give you hope? What that is, that is a good example of hopelessness. I've got to tell you, I had a couple dreams this week. I had a dream 
I think Wednesday night. And I woke up in the middle of the dream. I woke up as, as, as my alarm went off. I was signing a multi-million dollar contract. It was the best the feeling I'd had in a long time. I was signing a multi-million dollar contract for technology. And I believe it was next door. But I was great. Oh, I was good. It was good. I had a great day that day. I really felt, oh, Lord, thank you for that dream. Thank you for that. And I really felt good about it all day long. The next night, I woke up at four in the morning. I was in utter hopelessness. That was me right here. It was gone. I had no hope. I mean, it was bad. I have never been attacked like that before. It was suicidal. I mean, it was like there was nothing that was appealing to me in those hours of between four and about six. I battled with that. I tried to pray through it. I couldn't pray through it. I finally fell asleep somewhere. It must have been about 5.30. I woke up about 6.15 and I felt better. But it was the worst feeling of utter hopelessness I've ever felt. And in all that, I'm asking God, why? You're, I, I, prior to that, I had already realized that, I, that he wanted me to speak about freedom today. And I'm saying, Lord, how, you want me to speak about freedom, but look what I, I am bound. I, I, there's no way I can talk about freedom now. Look, I am terrible. I was a mess for that whole day. I, I, I had a hard time the, the whole day. The next morning I came in and I prayed here and, I, and, and the Lord met me here and he, and he gave me that assurance. He said, it's okay. You're going to be okay. But there's others here that are feeling that bondage. That's why I had to preach early. Because we need to know that we are fighting a fight that can be won. That we do not have to live in the bondage of our past, our present, or our future. The Lord has your future in hand. The only time that you fear the future is when you don't keep Jesus in it. You keep Jesus in your future, you have a future. You don't have that hopelessness. You don't have that despair. Romans 8, 31-32 says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see, we, we have the promise of eternal life. We do. But you know what? I still have to live to get there. I still have to go through a lot of things in my life to get there. And the Lord promises me there that I don't have to just wait for eternal life. I can walk my life here in freedom. I can walk my life here as a conqueror. I do not have to be bound Romans 8, 37, 39 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, <laughs> neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a promise, and that should make you excited. That should make you want to say, Amen, thank you, Jesus. Stand up and holler a little bit. That is good stuff. That'll preach right there because that's what the Word of God says. That's not me making it up. 
John, 1 John 4, 4, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have won the victory, but we have to walk in the freedom that God gives us. Are you bound today? Are you bound up in today? Are you, are, is, the, is the enemy battling you? Don't be embarrassed to say the enemy's badgering you. The, the enemy only badgers those that are working. You notice in our skit, the middle person, I'm not going to call him by name, the middle person didn't do anything. Therefore, he was not badgered. These people here were actively moving around doing something, and they were badgered by the enemy. So if you are badgered by the enemy, don't be embarrassed by that. Don't feel like you're a bad person. You're not sinning. He's out to battle you, and we're in a fight. And we need to fight back. And the only way we're going to win is by fighting back. So that turmoil that's in your life is a sign that you are doing good for God. Be encouraged by that. And know by that that God is on your side. And He is going to stand by you. And He is going to deliver you. And you are going to be the conqueror, not only in eternity, but also in this life. We don't have to wait. You know, um, a while ago, and I shared this with my wife. My wife gets tired of me saying this stuff. And, and I don't, I, because she, she, she's a realist. And I tend to be more of the other, other side. And, and uh, I said, you know, the other day I saw Grandpa Way. And I, I saw Grandpa Way. And we were in heaven. And it was like I saw Grandpa Way in his youth and his vigor and in his strength, which I, I, always, Grandpa, I always remember him as an old man. But yet I saw him in his strength and his vigor, and he put his arm around me, and he walked down the street with me, and he said, Mike, you did a good job. And he was proud of me. And that gave me strength. But I don't have to wait for that. I know that's going to happen. I know that's going to happen. I know that I'm going to walk the streets of heaven with my dad. I know that I'm going to walk down the streets with him, and I know we're going to go, we're going to go four-wheeling again. We're going to get on the scooters, and we're going to have fun. You know what? Because that's what's going to happen on the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to come back to this earth that's going to be restored into its, to its perfection. What's happening in the Gulf is going to go away, and that water is going to be pure as gold again. It's going to be pure water again. And we're going to have rain of this earth. And we're going to be able to play on this earth. We're going to be able to enjoy this earth as it was intended to be. That's the new heaven and the new earth. And I get to be there. And so do you. But I don't have to wait for it. As tough as it is to live a joyous life, you know, joy, the strength of the Lord is my joy. Or the joy of the Lord is my strength, sorry. The joy of the Lord is my strength. But it's the other way around, too. I mean, it could go worse ways, couldn't it? But let's say it right. The, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, joy, the difference between joy and happiness is that joy comes from within me. Joy has nothing to do with my circumstances. Happiness is happy stance, is happenstance. Happiness comes and goes with my situations 
with my circumstances. I can be really happy someday because the weather's nice. Because it's a sunny day and I get to go golfing. And I can be really happy. And then when the rainy days come and I really wanted to golf, I can be really sad. But you know what? That's not the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord comes within me no matter what my situation is. No matter what my, my circumstances are, my happenstance, the joy is the strength. And I've got to tell you, I struggle with that too. I'm no different than anybody here. I have my bad days. And you have your bad days. But you know, my struggle is not against flesh and blood. My struggle is not against that. My goal is to live my life with the joy of the Lord in the midst of everything else going on. In the midst of the good things, I still want the joy of the Lord. Because on that beautiful day golfing, I can get mad because I hit a bad shot. How many people have done it? I have a good friend of mine that's a really good golfer, but when he messes up a shot, he gets really mad at himself and he loses the happiness of a beautiful day because he gets mad at himself for hitting a, good, a bad shot on a golf course. That's sad. As we conclude this morning, I want to ask you, as we go into praise and worship, because now that we have this message, now we can praise and worship God. But before we move into that, is there anyone here that is just feeling so that you need help? I want to help you. The Lord wants to help you. As we praise and worship here, I want you to take this time. If you want to come to the front, we're going to have communion at the end. We're going to have communion at the front because I want this to end up here. I believe the Lord wants us to be up here. I believe people here that need to be prayed for, that need to be set free from the pain of the past, the pull of the past, the pain of the present, and the fear of the future. And we're going to pray bondage-releasing time. And we're going to do it over communion. We're going to do it over praise and worship. So as the praise team would come back up, let's just take some time now and let's just, let's just relish in, in the glory of God. And if you have one of those problems, then let's pray. Come see me. We'll pray with you. We'll gather around somebody else. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about the Holy Spirit wanting to deliver us today and give us freedom. So let's praise and worship and let's just feel free to enter in and be healed. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. Oh! 
Are you the one that's going to be bound and then get rebound? Are you the one that's going to sit there and not be, not be freed? I know this is kind of tough. 
And I may be stepping on some toes here. And for those that are visiting with us, I don't mean to be. But you know what? This is what God's calling me to say this morning. We have some bondages that can be set free if we will allow ourselves to be set free. Amen. Let's keep singing and keep praising and keep praying in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The splendor
Yeah. Okay.